All right, here we go. All right, so we are back. We as in my wife and I, my lovely wife, Rose, uh, and we're going to be covering part four for us of The Fulfilled Family uh, by John MacArthur. So again, learning in our roles as a husband and wife and children how to be obedient. It's a word that's not really used as often as it should nowadays. Um, we probably do everything else opposite of obedience today. Uh, it's disobedience at the highest level, um, all the way, all the way from our, our from our our little homes and our little towns, all the way up to the the highest government uh, buildings, and and um, we're seeing just a uh, if there's a lack of uh, obedience, um, then there is uh, just chaos. And so, how do we get back to um, how do we get back to change? How do we get back to changing the government? I think it starts in our home. That's one thing I'm learning. If we can somehow teach the next generation how to learn to be obedient to each other first, to die to self, and live for Christ, allowing Him to be uh, the overseer of our homes, uh, to oversee, to be the main authority in our homes. And if we feel though as though He's watching all the time, uh, we'll probably approach life a little bit different when it comes to um, you know our family. So uh, my beautiful wife here is gonna start reading again and uh this is we're still on the men so ladies again get your men involved get your husbands involved and for uh couples that are you know uh newlyweds or engaged uh or even boyfriend and girlfriends it's probably important to, to know what you have in your future on how to keep a long lasting relationship where you love each other and um you learn to put up with each other uh because you love them all right so rose um, if you may. So this section is called Love That Guards. And it's talking to the husbands. The love of a godly man for his wife is the kind of love that safeguards her purity. Paul said Christ's sacrifice for the church had this ultimate object in mind. To sanctify and cleanse her. Ephesians 5.26 To make her glorious without spot or wrinkle. That she should be holy and without blemish. Her purity was his primary concern. Likewise, in marriage, it is every husband's solemn duty to guard his wife's purity. No one would ever deliberately defile someone he really loves. Remember, authentic love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. 1 Corinthians 13.6 How could a loving husband ever delight in something that compromises the purity of the one he loves? On the contrary, the husband who loves his wife as Christ loves the church will naturally hate anything that defiles her. He will protect her against any threat to her virtue. He will strive to make his home a place where Christ is honored and everything that might defile is excluded. He will never knowingly lead her into any kind of sin. He won't deliberately provoke her. I know that would be hard for you, honey. Hey. (laughs) Or exasperate. (laughs) Her so that she succumbs to anger or any other temptation. Yeah. Mm, succumb to anger. Hey, this is good for us. But this he is will good guard for, her from... Very good for the men to listen to this part here. Very good. It's not easy. We, we all know this. But he will guard her from anything and everything that might dishonor her, degrade her, demean her, or tempt her to sin. And he himself will be an example of purity, knowing that whatever defiles him will ultimately okay, hold on defile a her too. So he should be an example of purity? Yes. All right, we got some work to do here, guys. Yeah. 
Notice the primary way that Christ maintains the purity of the church with the washing of water by the word. Ephesians 5.26 Husbands have a duty to ensure that their wives are regularly explo- exposed, exposed to the cleansing and purifying effect of the word of God. Mm. The husband is to be the spiritual leader and priestly guardian of the home. It is his duty to make sure the word of God is at the center of the home and family. Of course, he ought to lead his family in participation in a church where the word of God is revered revered, Revered, and obeyed. But above all, he himself needs to be devoted to the word of God and proficient enough in handling the scriptures that he can be true. He can be the true spiritual head in the marriage. See also 1 Corinthians 14, 34 through 35. That means the husband's priorities must be in order. If a man sits for hours, day after day, month after month, year after year, watching sports on television or otherwise neglecting his family's spiritual needs, he will eventually reap a bitter harvest. Here is where the husband's willingness to sacrifice for the good of his wife becomes intensely practical. If cultivating her sanctification and guarding her purity are not priorities over the evening television lineup, that husband is falling short, falling far short of loving his wife. I would actually say it's probably the cell phones more more so nowadays. Yeah. I don't think most people. Well, maybe they do. I don't watch TV, but but I think uh, cell phones are definitely yeah. Cell phones have definitely I think replaced TVs for the most part nowadays. So it includes your cell phones, tablets, PS four, PS five, Xbox One, Xbox uh, One X. Uh, I can keep going here, fellas. I think we get the point. Um, that, that husband is falling far short of loving his wife the way Christ loved the church. But in the same way Christ lovingly guards the purity of his church, the godly husband will seek his wife's sanctification, purity, and spiritual growth. That is every husband's responsibility. So that was the end of love that guards, and now there's love that cares. Yeah, let's continue. Genuine love also involves tender care, and Paul expressed that idea this way. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Ephesians 5.28 We spend a lot of time and energy taking care of our own bodies. We exercise, we eat, we wear clothes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Or we say we're going to exercise. Yeah, we do say that often. <laughs> especially every New Year's. Yeah. We wear clothes to look nice and stay warm. When we're sick or fatigued, we rest. When our bodies hurt, we seek relief from the pain. We take care of our bodies constantly, giving them whatever food, clothing, comfort, recreation, relaxation, or rest that they need. We're attentive to our own bodies, concerned with their needs, sensitive and responsive to whatever they desire. That is the kind of love Paul commanded husbands to show their wives. Notice, once again, scripture is not describing love only as an emotion. This sort of love is active, voluntary, dynamic. Something we do, not something we passively feel. It's only reasonable that a man would love his wife the way he loves his own body, because in marriage, the two become one flesh. Mm-hmm. That is the way God designed marriage. Paul was actually quoting Genesis 2.24, which, as we noted at the beginning of this book, describes how God first ordained marriage. In other words, this is a principle that is built into the idea of marriage itself. It applies universally. And it has been true from the beginning. Husbands ought to love their wives with the same care they give to their own bodies. 
because after all, the two are one flesh. This is what marriage is all about. Marriage itself is consummated with the literal literal bodily union of husband and wife. From that point on, the husband should regard the wife as his own flesh. If she hurts, he ought to feel the pain. If she has needs, he should embrace those needs as his own. He should seek to feel what she feels. All right, so so guys, make sure you're paying attention here. This is important. (laughs) Desire what she desires, and in effect, give her the same care and consideration he gives his own body. The Apostle Peter had these words of advice for husbands. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. 1 Peter 3.7 Notice several things that emerge from that text. First, from the husband's perspective, headship is something that carries a greater responsibility, not necessarily a higher degree of privilege. Peter had already affirmed the divine order of the husband's headship. He recognized that the wife is the weaker vessel, and yet he saw this as a reason for the husband to sacrifice personal privilege and give honor to the wife. Second, although the husband's duties clearly include leadership, nothing here indicates that the husband ought to regard the wife as anything other than a joint heir and partner. Husband and wife are heirs together of the grace of life. Third, the text suggests three practical ways husbands ought to prefer their wives over themselves. Consideration. Husbands, dwell with them with understanding. One of the most common complaints counselors hear from wives about their husbands is this. He doesn't even oh, let me try guess to here, understand just for fun. me. Okay, I was going to say he doesn't listen. Yeah. Um, which I guess kind of goes along with not trying to understand yeah. the woman. Um, he doesn't help. And my third one I'll say is he's not supportive. All right, let's see. Well, he doesn't try to understand me. He's insensitive to the way I feel. He, he doesn't try to understand me? So it's feelings. Yeah. Proper love for one's wife involves consideration for how she feels. Husbands need to be aware of the concerns their wives express, the goals they have set, the dreams they cherish, the desires that drive them, the things they fear, and the anxieties they carry. That requires a deliberate effort to see as she sees and feel what she feels. I really feel like this is almost impossible, but I guess with God, all things are possible. (laughs) Whoa! <laughs> Hold on a second here, honey. Yeah. Just saying. In no, reality. yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think about the same thing. I think um, from the f- the flesh aspect of a, a yeah. husband and wife, and the Bible says that there's enmity between husband and wife since we sinned. Um, that it's it is going to be impossible, but uh, on a different level. Meaning, there's gonna it, just like you know when you save, once your eyes are open, you're still going to sin. And so now we we recognize the sin and we go to God and ask for repentance. The same thing in a relationship. If we realize that there's an issue, we should bring it to God and ask for forgiveness. But there's another step because it's not just personal. It's now in a relationship. You got to go to that person and say, I'm sorry. So it's it's actually that's probably why ministry starts in the home, because it's it's probably harder to be able to not just recognize you're doing something wrong now bring it to your your wife or your husband and say i'm sorry i was wrong and say it not just say it just to appease them yeah but say it uh you know with with love yeah 
It means listening to her carefully, giving her time to share her heart, and having empathy with what she's feeling. That sort of understanding doesn't seem to come naturally to most husbands, but that is what every wife needs, and that is what scripture demands of husbands. Chivalry. Peter continued, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. It is an undeniable fact of nature that, in general, women are physically weaker than men. That is what this refers to. These days, referring to women as the weaker sex may not seem politically correct, but in no way did Peter mean this as an insult to women. On the contrary, he brought it up as a reason for husbands to treat their wives with a gentle, loving chivalry. A husband honors his wife when he employs his strength to serve her in ways that account for her weakness. There are all kinds of practical ways to show this type of courtesy to a wife, from symbolic things like opening doors for her, to more practical things such as changing tires, washing windows, and moving furniture. Serve your wife. We think of that too, like opening doors and stuff nowadays. I need to do that more often. We think that's just old-fashioned. Opening doors for for just strangers or opening doors for your wife, um, holding hands, all these things are looked at as like... um, Maybe it's a sign of weakness or um, I think women are kind of brought up now. The younger women is, you know, I don't need a man. I can do this for myself. And then the reality is, yes, you need a man and the man needs you. It's it's equal. It's an equal partners partnership. And it's in learning how to not just respect, but to love and to care. Showing how to care is important. Which I'm learning. <laughs> <laughs> Serve your wife with your strength. Peter was saying, Acknowledge that she is the weaker vessel and use your physical strength to serve her whenever her weakness places her at a disadvantage. This is one of the key why the key ways husbands are to submit to their wives by thoughtfully showing them honor in their weakness. Communion. The final phrase of 1 Peter 3.7 puts it all in perspective, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, we see that although women may be physically weaker than men, men and women are spiritual equals. Husband and wife are joint heirs of the grace of, of the grace of life. By that expression, Peter was indicating that marriage itself is the best part of life. You hear that, honey? Uh-huh. Amen. <laughs> like the topping on a Sunday. Amen. And husband and wife share together in that grace. I'm thankful for my wife, Patricia. She is my best friend and closest confidant. She is also my foremost spiritual partner, with whom I share constantly the issues that we bring to God. Peter recognized the importance of that relationship and cited it as the primary reason for husbands to be considerate and chivalrous toward their wives, that your prayers may not be hindered. If there is any kind of breach in the husband-wife relationship, in effect, it can close the windows of heaven. So Peter urged husbands to be understanding to show honor and empathy to their wives. It's simply another way of saying what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.28. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Returning then to Ephesians 5, we see that Paul went on in verse 29 to say, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. That's true. There are, of course, people who claim they don't like themselves very much. We hear a lot of these days, about the problem of low self-esteem, which more often than not turns out to be just another excuse to pamper oneself with false pity. But we don't by nature hate ourselves. It's perfectly natural to avoid what hurts us, 
seek what we desire, eat what we have an appetite for, and avoid whatever threatens life and limb. Our instinct for self-preservation is one of our most basic drives. Scripture recognizes that. There's nothing essentially wrong with it, and there's certainly no virtue in self-flagellation? I don't know what that word is. Flatulence? (laughs) No, it's not. It's not flatulence? Not that word. Okay. Or other aesthetic means (laughs) of punishing one's own body. When scripture commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves in Mark 12:31, it recognizes how foreign self-hate how foreign self-hate is to the human heart. Jesus called the law the second greatest commandment, Matthew 22:39. In a moment's reflection, we'll reveal that love your neighbor as yourself is simply the principle of mutual submission expressed in different language. If that principle applies even to our love for our neighbors, it must apply in an infinitely more personal way to the love between husband and wife. Indeed, the language Paul used in Ephesians 5 with regard to husbands and wives seemed deliberately chosen to underscore the absolute intimacy of the husband's tender love for his wife. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. The terms Paul employed are strikingly warm and personal. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. The Greek verb translated nourishes is a word used only here and in Ephesians 6.4, where it is translated as bring them up, and describes the nurture of a little child. It conveys the idea of feeding and bringing to maturity. It seems to speak not only of the husband's duty as a provider, but also his role as a spiritual leader in the family. The word translated cherishes literally means to warm. The Greek word is used in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, where it describes how a nursing mother cherishes her own children. It is a word that might be used to describe a nesting bird brooding over her chicks. It is a beautiful expression, and in this context, it conveys the idea of warmth and security suggesting that a godly husband will tenderly shelter and defend his wife as someone fragile and precious. A wife is a God-given treasure to be nourished and cherished, just as Christ does the church. Ephesians 5.29 She is her husband's to care for, his partner and loving helper, his to fulfill every need for love, friendship, companionship, and physical intimacy. She is his to be the mother of his children. The two are one flesh. It is the most perfect and most intimate union on earth. Paul's whole point is that marriage is a living illustration of Christ's love for the church. I agree with that. That's why the husband's duty to care for his wife is such a sacred responsibility, especially in a Christian marriage. The wife is not only one with with husband with the husband she is one with christ as well in marriage she is one with the husband with her husband in salvation she is one with christ Mm -hmm. how her husband treats her therefore reflects what he thinks of the lord matthew 25 40 i gotta get working on that for we are members we all gotta get working on that fellas (laughs) remember ministry starts at home for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones ephesians 5 30 that's the end of that. That's the end of it? Okay. Perfect. Right around 20 minutes. All right. So, um, 
as I corrected myself probably about a month ago, maybe two months ago, because I was blaming a lot of other things for the way the world is. And um, but it starts at home. Ministry starts at home. Uh, you know, if you raise up children to fear the, fear the Lord, not you, because often there's regrets. Kids leave the home, and is that going to be next? The children. It's still okay, so um, uh, let's talk about it. Then I won't get to that yet. So the husband and wife <clears throat> with the divorce rate over 70%, why is that? You know, you want to try to figure out the reasons behind it. And uh, it's, it's pretty simple. If we learn to put God first, then we'll learn to love each other because it's all about selfishness, right? Selfishness of the man. For the woman, not so much. I'd say I would say it's for the man. Uh, for the woman... Um, I'm sure there's other things, uh, but as time progresses and you continue to, you know, uh, be selfish and the woman tends to learn to grow cold and it's like two flower, uh, like a flower that's dying, you're not watering it. And, uh, and the man becomes cold like a rock and then eventually they just, there's no point anymore. Um, the Lord puts you together. There's a reason for that. And no matter what struggles you go through in a relationship, um, it is important to to go to God, even if one's struggling. So often, if my wife's struggling, I'm I know I'm praying to the Lord, and uh, I know that if I'm struggling, she's praying. So He does that in ways that we can't explain, but uh, I know when my wife's praying for me because <laughs> I'm crying in the morning, driving my car, asking the Lord to forgive me for the way that I am and all this other stuff. So anyways, I, um, I pray that this, uh, blesses you in your relationship and, uh, we'll be talking about kids as well. So please stay tuned as we kind of bounce around the different subjects. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. So God bless you. May you walk with the King today and be a light in this world because there's a lot of darkness out there. God bless you.